Playoff time is when things start getting serious on the court. Players are more driven than ever to win these big games and keep advancing. Goodyear knows all about being more driven, too. Working hard to help you advance on and off the road. Let Goodyear.com help you choose what's best. It's the Hoop Collective. I'm Kevin Arnold. It's in Los Angeles with Omri Caspi of the Golden State Warriors. That sounds very good to say. Oh, it sounds good to hear it, too. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. I mean, you've been in some less than desirable situations. I, I'm always wondering, like, psychologically on a day-to-day level, how different is it? And I'm talking about on the court, locker room, traveling, media, everything else. How different is it when you're playing with a, a lousy team versus playing basically one of the best teams of all time? Oh, it's a night and day, you know, just from the sense of, of you coming into a game knowing that, that you have everything you need to win a game on a consistent basis. And um, the guys that setting the tone in the locker room, the guys that setting the tone in practice are, are, you know, an elite players. Who are those guys for this team? Oh, well, you know, th- there's there's few guys, but, you know, it's obviously Steph, you know, oriented team. Um you know, he's the one that started everything around around everything. But, you know, Steph and KD and, and Draymond in, in his own way of obviously being the leader of the team and, and Clay in his own way, just, just are phenomenal people. Andre is, is another locker room, great locker room guy, and, and Sean and Zaza and the rest of the guys. It's just a, a beautiful group of guys to be around. So how do you approach it? Um, I mean, in Israel, you were an extremely expressive guy. I mean, you grew up being that guy. It was Omri-oriented teams. So you come here, like, first of all, you're new. Secondly, you're not those guys. Like, what? how do you approach coming into a locker room where, like, yeah, you want to be sociable, you want to be one of the guys, but at the other time, you, you just kind of want to I mean, not wait your turn. I mean, how do you approach that? Well, it's, it's tough on so many levels because you're coming into a team that, that just won a championship. They won two th- championships in the last three years, and, and they have a set rotation, and they have the guys that they trust and everything around it. And, you know, coming into the locker room, you want to feel comfortable with these guys. And, and one of the things that is, was important for me is just to, to be, you know, who I am. I didn't want to change, you know, uh, as a person coming in and trying to be somebody I'm not, you know. And, and you know, the guys all from day one and, and the coaching staff really felt, made me feel like, you know, comfortable at home and, and my true personality could come out. And I feel like, you know, we have a group of guys that everybody, you know, care for one another. And, and it's not really just a, a, you know, just a saying. I feel like, you know, when you're having a good game and I dive on the, on the floor and Kevin Durant comes to me and say, Omri, way to bring energy, that, that goes a long way for role players like us. And obviously, you know, coming into this team is, is there's so many different adjustments needed to be made by me and the rest of the guys is – it's just fun to be around. Um, how are KD and Steph different? It, it was interesting to see KD kind of say, hey, I, I'm not the leader of this team, which, you know, some people interpret it as uh, uh, surrendering some sort of responsibility or, or not an alpha thing to do. Uh, what's he like? KD's unbelievable, really. I, um, uh, how big of a star he is, how good of a player he is, he's so humble. And, and humbleness is, is such a beautiful character to have, and, and that goes a long way. He's, you really can't tell that that guy is, uh, you know, a champion and, you know, Olympian and whatnot, and, and he's just 
you know, the best guy. He sits next to me in the locker room, so it's always fun just to, to talk and chat about life. And, and he's so insightful about everything. And uh, he's a great leader. You know, I don't know, you know, why and, and how things came out when what he said. I always feel like when I make a good play on the court, he's the first one to come and say, hey, great play. And that's great leadership, you know, and quality of me. Did we make too much of the leader thing? I mean, the idea that a team has a leader Absolutely. always kind of seemed a little absurd to me. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. There's there's so many levels of, of being uh, a character guy. And and to me, you know, we always trying to like, oh, he's the guy that need to carry the group. No, there's there's so many different things that, you know, within within the team that needed to be addressed. And, and in our team, we're fortunate to have a lot of these guys. I remember a conversation we had a while back um, when you were in a less than desirable situation. You know, at the time, I mean, I think you pretty much put it this way, which was, look, all I really want in my career right now is to play for a team that has a top-notch culture. And you were in a situation that the the culture was lacking. And, and, um, you know, the obvious choices, you know, with the Spurs or or, or, certainly Warriors. when, When did this call come in that... I mean, was was this on your radar? Um, obviously, finishing the season the way I finished it, with all the injuries and everything around it, I, I didn't think that that would be the, the next play I'd play at. Uh, but you know, when the Warriors kind of reached out to my agent and they called me on July first, I knew, you know, that's where I want to put. Were myself. you back in Israel? Yeah, yeah. And you was, get the call. I mean, so it's over there. It was, it's what time? It was six fifty in the morning. I woke up. That was right before midnight New York time. And Leon Rose is on the phone. And uh, Stephen and Leon. Okay. Uh, and you know, I have a call with Kirk Lake of, uh, at seven a.m. Uh, about joining the Warriors and about their interest in me. And and that was you know I couldn't sleep the, obviously that morning and and the next night. Were you anticipating that you would have a July one invitation? Yeah. I'm, I'm, don't no. take that the wrong no, way. Or no, you're right. It's just no. no, not not the way things were going. Not the way things were going that year, obviously. Uh, you know, and uh, when 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 I talked to Kirk and then I talked to Steve, uh, you know, I knew what situation I was going into, and and I was just you know wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to be a part of this group of guys and um, want them to dictate my future. You know, and so many times as role players, we we have we are so dependent on on our guys, on our main guys, our coaches, etc. And and they dictate our future. I felt like a lot of times, a lot of people didn't know a lot about my game because I played in bad teams, you know. And now things are more going out there because I'm playing in a better team. So I wanted, you know, Steph and KD and Coach Kerr and Draymond and, and Clay and, you know, the rest of the guys to dictate, you know, where my future and my career are going to go because at the end of the day, you know, the better season we're going to have, the better, you know, career I, I will have. You said something interesting regarding the whole flap around Donald Trump in the White House invite. And uh, it, it hadn't, it wasn't something that it kind of occurred to me. It's always been discussed in the frames of, well, is it the right thing to do or, you know, or, or, or whatever. But you said it actually brought you guys together, that it, that it essentially became this at kind of adversarial, almost crisis situation, not crisis situation, but it became a thing. Yeah. And by virtue of becoming a thing, uh, it, you guys kind of rallied around each other. So, so kind of Donald Trump unintentionally yet felt, you know, basically fed more fire into the the Warriors' cohesiveness and, and what they are. You know, I feel like the team came together and, and talked about everything and, and regard matters that are really important to one another. You know, I always felt like athletes shouldn't get involved in politics, and, and I never did in my career, not in Israel, and, and obviously shouldn't get involved here in the U.S. as an outsider, but... 
that thing really, you know, brought the team together, and and you know, we decided to to take a, you know, the team decided to take a step and 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 do what 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 they think it's right. What, why why shouldn't a player get involved in politics? Because first of all, I think our career is not dependent up necessarily just upon us. You know, when an artist and, and a singer wants to go out and say something about politics, he can, and then you know, people who likes him will go to his show, and and people who don't won't. You know, as an athlete, you have an owner, you have an you know. A system that you you obligated to, and, and obviously with everything that you know going on with, with, in in football, that that just create too much. And, and athletes, I feel like you know they should focus on their sport and, and they should focus on what they do. But you know things have changed. You know there, there's there's times that people thought the same like me, and now there's people that think opposite. So you know me as an outsider, I don't think I should obviously get involved in politics. Uh, not here, obviously, and you know it just. Different times, though, I guess. So your position would be that, you know, whether it's a guy like Steph speaking out against the current administration, your position would be he shouldn't do that? Or at this point, as his teammate, I back him? I mean, what's your... I back my teammates regardless of, of what they want to say about anything, you know. And I feel like, you know, in times of, of sport and and during the season, we we should focus on basketball. That's 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 the most important thing. Uh, how's fatherhood going? It's going good. It's going uh, uh, a lot of sleepless night, less than what I'm, I'm usually usually regular to sleep. But uh, it's been amazing. It's been really a life changing experience. Me and my wife are really enjoying her, and and she's four and a half months now. We really count down the days for her to celebrate six months and seven months. It's just uh, a tremendous uh, experience. And y'all live in the East Bay? Yeah, we live uh, we live in Oakland Hills actually, and it's beautiful. Very nice. uh, right by the facility, kind it's of awesome. Israeli sort of vegetation and yeah, topography. Kind of more of like the north of Israel, maybe yeah. like the the Golanites. Kind of reminds me of. Yeah, less like Holon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, um, I want to ask you about Demarcus. Um, I, he's fascinating in that I don't know a player whose on court in the facility persona is more different than his. Out, off the court, outside the facility persona, and, and and I don't, I can't recall a player in recent memory where that's that's been more the case. I mean, you you've played with him. I, I mean, help me sort of. Uh, what's the primer on on Demarcus Cousins? I mean, how do you how do we make sense of this guy? What, what do you think of his talent? I mean, just well, I think he's a top notch talent. I think you know uh, he has obviously the tools to be an MVP. He should be an MVP conversation every year. You know, I think. Uh, you know, now that things are starting to look a little better with with New Orleans, uh, he can put himself in that in that category. But you know, talent is is amazing, and he's a great guy. I mean, he's a great guy off the court, and and things are are you know he's so competitive on the court that he wants to win so bad, and things are not going his way. He sometimes gets frustrated. Um, what makes a good teammate? A lot of things. I mean, a lot of. I mean, things. Give me your your kind of list in descending order. Uh, good teammate is to me a guy that you know will will not necessarily be happy for you on the court as much as he'll be happy for himself because that's that's tough to do. But also like to be supportive of everybody around him and and come in and practice and and be the first guy in and and practice hard and 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 cheer for his teammates and and carry himself the right way and not bring. Uh, a bad attitude to to the facility and take care of the young guys and help them grow and 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 learn what the NBA is all about and and as a leader, 
uh, of, of a group of people and, and share his experiences of what he's become. Who's the best teammate you've played with before you got here? I'll to spare you the warrior. I've had some good ones. I, I was fortunate enough when I when I was a rookie to to be with a guy named Francisco Garcia, who kind of showed me the way. Um, you know, the past few years, the guy I can remember is Darren Collison. It was uh, yeah, um, you and DC were tight in Sacramento. Yeah, we're still tight. That, that's my that's my brother, and we we still talk almost every day. And he's a guy I look up to. You know, the way he carries himself, the way he he runs and goes about his business. You know, and and um, you know, and now with with, with our team, it's just uh, we have a lot of. What um, I want you to help me understand something I've never quite understood. And that's Amari Stoudemire and the culturally Jewish thing and the Israel thing and, like, it, 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 his immersion into the culture. I mean, you, I think you were in one of his camps or – did you all have a camp yeah, yeah. this summer? Like, yeah. all right, so – all right, first of all, I'll just ask it as a serious question. Like, is Amari Jewish? I think he's a – what's called Messianic Jew. I think he – Believe in the Old Testament, and he also believed that Jesus is is the Son of God. So it's a Are little we like bit like Jews for Jesus here. Is that kind of kind of like I think okay. the mix of in, in between? Yeah. All right, and and but culturally, he is very one with the Jewish people. Yeah, uh, I don't know. You know, we should ask a rabbi. You know, and and kind of really figure it oh, out. I mean, I mean, like I, I don't. I'm not so much like would you know Talmudically is he <laughs> qualified to be a Jew, or or does he meet the needs, or his mother was Jewish? I mean, just. He seems immersed in Jewish culture. He he loves the Jewish culture, and I think he, he owns a, a property back in Tel Aviv, and he plays for a Jew, and he loves. He, he had a great time in Jerusalem. We talked about it, you know, during last year, of his experiences of, of being back home in Israel. He wanted to go back actually and play another year. Um, he's just a great guy, you know, more than anything. And you know, I feel like you know he he's part of the family. sort of a god in Israel and I mean when at 19 you played you know in a EuroLeague final you but you scored nine points in 12 minutes you um you know you were the guy who made it from that country I don't think people fully understand the magnitude of that um in a country that's small but I'm always curious how you go from being the guy essentially you know leading the nation in a, in a sport to Okay, now I'm going to be the ultimate role player in the NBA. Like it's an enormous adjustment. Um, how do you approach that? Well, you, in the beginning, you kind of like somewhere in the middle that you're trying to make yourself uh, make a name for yourself in the league and and kind of find your way. But then then you realize that there's really talented and really good basketball players uh, here in the NBA, and and you got to find ways to complement them in order to play. Um, it's really hard to be the guy, you know, and do it on a consistent basis. And and I don't think there's to win a championship. There's very few guys around the league that can be the number one guys to win a championship. And and um, and they need a supporting cast. And and you know that's why I feel like playing with the Warriors. I feel like comfortable. Obviously, the the way the system is, and it kind of reminds me of what we played back home uh, growing up. Of moving the ball and cutting and playing without the you ball. You wanted that. I mean, I remember having I that conversation it, yeah. with you that you felt like really yeah. to prosper in the second half of your career, you'd need to be in a system. Yeah, yeah, and and I felt like you know that, that's how I grew up playing, 
and that's why I felt comfortable from day one in camp that oh this this is this is home for me you know this is this is how I used to play growing up uh, you know I'm not a, a, a type of guy that you're throwing the ball in the post and go get you a bucket you know I might do that sometimes but I'm not you're not gonna run plays necessarily like that for me so I feel like uh, being in a system like this is is something that I really wanted to do. Did you have a moment? You know, and I'm wondering maybe it was after the Houston year or or, or whatever, where you kind of said, "Okay, look, I, I, now now my objective is I want to stick in the league, which is not a certainty." And just by virtue, there there there's just a lot of instability in the in, in the league, and these are the things I'm going to do to do that. Well, I wasn't thinking about. I always felt like I had a place in the league. I felt like from time to time I lost my way as a young player in this league. It's Wait, there's so much lose your way. You know, I lost you know my game, and uh, sometimes lost my head in, in different you know areas of the game. And and, and going, coming into the league from overseas, it's so much harder than growing up here. You come in from a different culture, culture, and the game is so different. And sometimes you think of yourself better than what you really are, and and so many different things. And at that point, I turned back to you know I worked with Coach Thorpe for the past five six and years Thorpe, yeah and uh, kind of went back to the basic of, of knocking down shots and, and running the floor and doing the things that I can do on a consistent basis and then these things will find me a great role in this league and and it's some quality you know uh, players that doing have done that for years and have played a certain way and so in some ways it, it, it I wouldn't say it's a luxury but when you you're going to be the consummate role player, now you can pick the few things you really do well and kind of maximize them because you're not going to be called on to be no. the five-tool no. player. I mean, Absolutely. so you can kind of focus and say, look, these are the things I can be able to do. And in and, and systems like the Warriors and Spurs, like, hey, do these few things you do, but do them very well. And you can kind of narrow your game in some respects. Yeah, absolutely. And you won't see me practicing and, and dribbling, 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 and shooting either, because I'm not going to shoot that in the game. And and but you'll see me spotting up for three and being ready to shoot, and you'll see me cut on the weak side when when there's opportunity and rebound the ball because you know you can go to the rebound every possession on both ends, and run the floor and be in great shape and be and I feel like that these are quality attributes that any team needs and and even going into the Warriors this year you know I felt like you know if you look at the rotation and everything going into the season I knew I'm going to have a tough situation going in 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 different people's minds uh, of playing time, etc. But I knew being positive is, is, is this quality thing that I can be positive this year and, and, and do the stuff I need to do. And slowly, slowly, I think that the coaches would trust me more, you know. Steve really seems to value you. That's, uh, I'm, you know, and, and I really appreciate that because I work really hard to, to get to the point of, of the, that trust, you know. It's really earned, not, not given. Were you surprised to get those starts? Yeah, even a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. When Steve texted me the other day and, and told me I'll start, uh, you know, I mean that had to be just one of the cooler moments. In I mean, you've started games before, obviously. Yeah, you've started dozens of games, but what, why was it different? Because it's a championship team. It's it's Steve Kerr texting me, and I have a relationship with him. Uh, I grew up watching Steve in the '90s. I told that to Steve in in, in our phone call in in July. Uh, that was that one game a week that was televised back home at 4.30 in the morning with Chicago Bulls playing, you know, Phoenix Suns in NBA Finals. Uh, and I grew up watching Steve, you know, and having a relationship with him every day I come to work is just, just uh, a dream come true. You talk about stuff other than basketball with Steve. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just for some reason, Steve know how to get to you when, and 
and that's really kudos to him. And and even when I wasn't playing, even if I'm not going to play tomorrow, or I'm not going to play next game, he knows that I'll be ready. And and that's something that it was really important for me to tell him from day one. But he just know how to get to you and keep you motivated and and keep you going, you know, and keep you keep you feeling apart. That's the word that I was looking for. You you feel a part of everything, even if I, you know, I'm not playing. You feel appreciated. You feel like you are a, a good NBA player. You know, sometimes when you're not playing a team, and and you know, some people look at you different, and you feel like, oh man. Even though it's not necessarily that's how it should be, it should come from within. You should trust yourself and trust what you do. But sometimes it's just great to feel a part and felt, you know, great to be, you know, appreciative of, of everything you do. And, and Steve is just, uh, just amazing at that. So you know your rookie year in Israel. Apparently, all the a bunch of Kings games were yeah. were broadcast. And my understanding is basically the entire broadcast crew would spend the entire time just crushing Kevin Martin because that's who was playing. Just just basically telling the Israeli audience how terrible he was, and then basically yelling at Tyreek for not passing the ball. Not, not enough. Yeah. Well, sometimes we're a little. Uh, Which is like the most Israeli thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we're a little. We're we're looking on our people, and we're really trying to push them, even though it's not really the reality. <laughs> no, no, it, 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 it's the Israeli way. I, I, by the way, I saw that you. I don't, I don't know. If they even saw it at the time, but you, you did not play in a preseason game because of Yom Kippur, which is basically like the Jewish equivalent of, like, for an athlete not to play on Yom Kippur is like the Jewish equivalent of like jumping into a river. And like saving a child, like like this is the, the the holiest thing you can do as a Jewish athlete is not play on Yom Kippur. It's like the Sandy Kovacs thing. I mean, you are you you're not terribly observant though. Well, I you know at, at the house I keep kosher and uh, did not know. Yeah, we keep kosher at the house, and I don't eat meat outside, so I keep kosher. What what called and. Uh, it's really important. I mean, it's part of our religion. My, my, I grew we, up, do we have two sets of plates? No, we don't. We don't get. We didn't get to that point. But uh, we also, uh, it's important to keep our tradition going. And you know, my my grandfather was uh, a very orthodox Jew, and and you know, sometimes you know, thinking of him, you know, I, I was actually drafted the day he he died. Uh, he died a few years before that, but that was the same day. And it was kind of uh, like we were connected. I'm I'm called under his name. You know, I have the same middle name as Moses uh, under his name, and I feel like we're so connected. Omri Ben same. Moshe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's feel like connected in in a way, and so we keep our traditions and and trying to keep the th- the stuff we do. But I actually, had we had an, an event the other day, and somebody asked me, "What if Yom Kippur was an NBA Finals Game Seven? Would you play?" I was like, "No, idiot." October. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Thank God it's in October." Um, no, but growing up in a kosher home is funny because we and I grew up in a kosher home as well, and and there's always that negotiation of like, can you bring the pizza in and then like eat in the den, but you can like like having a burger that I bought like in the garage. But I can't bring it in the house, and just the constant negotiation over kashrut yeah. is one of the weirdest things about growing up in a, in a kosher home. It's hard, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> Definitely make you think. I, you know, I want to talk to you about your dad, Shimon, because um, I was actually thinking about him in the context of Lavar Ball, right. because early in your career, and it's for listeners. I mean, you were playing with Maccabi. You were this young. I mean, you're possibly the best Israeli prospect ever to come up. And I get why there was a point where you weren't getting the playing time that you probably should have been. And your dad just like goes off on the organization is just like, like they haven't developed a player in 20 years and they never will. And, and, um, so just, uh, that was just a funny experience because in, in, had there been social media back then, I mean, it would have been, it would have been like LeVar-esque. So it was a little, it's a little different back home because 
I felt like growing up, I had to go through so much in order to to play the way I wanted to play because we're a small country. There's not a lot of six nine players, and and the easiest thing to do is is to shove me inside and make me play center and grow up and play center. And not my really dad, your game. yeah, and my dad always him and some some coaches that helped me grow up were like, no, Omi should be a two three. Omi should be a small forward growing up. That that will be you know potentially maximizes potential so so you're kind of trying to do almost go a durant route yeah. in israel i mean essentially yeah. yeah i mean we have some similarities uh you know it's a great compliment i mean kd's uh <laughs> prototypically i i'm not i'm not going to suggest that you have kd's game or anything but like you know the idea of being like you're the you, you were essentially the biggest guy longest guy on the floor but you're going to play where you want to play yeah so so my dad was really a big influence of of, of kind of creating me the, the atmosphere to go and play and and you know, look at Maccabi at the time, it was just a tough, you know, because Maccabi is a top-notch organization uh, in Europe. Uh, they compete every year in the EuroLeague Final Four almost every year. In the past few years, they've been struggling, but they should be there. And, and they have a, a great great fans, obviously, and fan base. Uh, and they're not their bread and butter. They're not, you know, the type of team that will take a 18-year-old kid and, and let him play 25 minutes to gain experience and play and go to the NBA. You know, they want to win now. And, and I was fortunate enough to, you know, at some point that Maccabi took me and, and Pini Gershon at the time was a coach, took me under his wing and, and started me and when I was 20, 21. I, felt, I remember even NBA teams were worried about if my dad would come over with me and uh, would he talk in the media. And, and at that point, my dad was like, I'm, t- I'm taking a big step back and, and letting you uh, spread your wings and fly. Do you get hit up all the time in the U.S.? Like, like there was a period where, like, family friends, your rookie year in Atlanta, where I where I grew up, yeah. like, wanted to see if you would like come to Shabbat dinner, right. and like, I imagine I was like, yeah. oh my god, this guy is getting hit up by every community rabbi, like every Jewish federation group. Like, were you kind of assaulted with these requests early on? I mean, you have to appreciate what a huge deal it is for American Jews. Yeah, at the beginning it was kind of overwhelming in a sense because I didn't know how to manage it the right way, and I feel like now. I'm so much more, so much more mature and understanding everything around it, and uh, I try to do the, the best I can. You know, it's it's really hard. You guys know how, how much uh, work we put into to this NBA season and everything around it, and and it's hard to to really you know satisfy everybody. But at the same time, that the Jewish community all over the U.S. been so great to me and to my family, and always supportive. Sometimes I said in the interview, I, I don't have the hummus of home. I literally got packs of hummus of so many. I was just saying, like, the Jews will send food. <laughs> Definitely send like, food. It was great. Um, so they've always been so great to me and my family. So well, trying to bring back. I mean, it's kind of funny because Jews and sports have this bizarre relationship, right? Because like we are the most unathletic people, right? And it's like the old joke, like, oh, I saw a book about Jewish athletes. It was a pamphlet, <laughs> but you know, and it, it, it does speak to something because. Um, I mean, I think there's this sense that, like, Jews feel like they do certain things well in the world, and then they do certain things really, really poorly. And and things that associated with either, like, kind of physical activity tend to fall in the latter category. So, I mean, I think the the measure of pride that's taken with you is sort of like, like, like you're this kind of great outlier. So like, see, we can actually put a ball through a hoop. I mean, um, but it's, um, no, it's just funny because over the, Last seven, eight, you know, seven, eight years when you've been in the league, like just the number of people have asked me. It's just funny. Right, by the way, where's the best uh, best Israeli food you've had in the U.S.? In L.A., I think. Yeah, where? LA. Uh, there's a, there's a kosher place called Doctor Sandwich. Doctor Sandwich. Yeah, I'm not familiar with this word. Yeah. It's not it's not far from. Is like Pico. Yeah, 
It's on pickle, right? Yeah. It's awesome. It's really good. Andrew, Doctor Sandwich. It's actually right. the it's... best uh, shawarma I've had uh, in the U.S. outside uh, of Israel. Okay. Um, that's good to know. Uh, best place to shoot hoops in Cholon or Yavne, or like right by the house, on uh, right by where I grew up. We used to walk me and my brother and shoot hoops all the time, and that's how I really started to play the game. So it's fun. Yavne is uh, Yavne is my city. So you you were born in Cholon, but then you grew up in Yavne, okay, which is a little farther south. We had a two bedroom apartment uh, when I was uh, until I was three years old. Then my sister was born, and we moved to a bigger house at the time, and. Uh, kind of lived there until until I, I I got drafted and left. like these days I mean everyone this is the city that I, I haven't been in like 20 years you should, you should definitely come with me this summer. and it is I mean I, I, it's incredible yeah it's it, it's so advanced it's so multicultural it's so open it's so uh, you know the food and cuisine is, is top notch really the, the, the food in Israel got so much better over the past seven eight years. There's chefs from all over the world coming and learning and and, and sharing experiences. The food is unbelievable and nightlife is great. The beach is awesome. The weather is, you know, besides July August is is great. Um, uh, so it's fun. Yeah, it was one of those things where, you know, when you were there, Israel is this place where the kind of stereotypes actually conform. Where you'd hear that Tel Aviv was this cosmopolitan place and Jerusalem was a little bit neurotic. I mean, it was very pretty because the topography's are much nicer than Tel Aviv's, but it's, you know, but it, it was kind of neurotic. And my, my feeling, my understanding is that Tel Aviv's gotten even more cosmopolitan and just yeah. more stuff to do. And it's a 24-hour city, essentially. Unreal. Um, 24-7. Your favorite court in Israel? Well, I grew up playing in Yad Eliyahu. Yad Eliyahu now, I mean, now it's called Menorah uh, in Tel Aviv. It's, it's, I remember going as a 14-year-old kid that just joined Maccabi Tel Aviv junior team from Yavne. It's about 25 minutes south. Uh, and uh, the first time I went there, it's just a, you know, I, I grew up watching Maccabi, and I grew up watching Anthony Parker at the time in early 2000. He's great, and he's great yeah. And, um, and then going there for the first time, it was just a, a dream come true. Being able to play in that arena for, for a few years. Was a How big? How big the arena is? Mm-hmm. It's about, now they kind of reconstructing some things, but it's about 11,000 people. Have you ever played on the West Bank or in Gaza? No. Um, well, Gaza, people got to realize, I mean, we live in such a small country, no. but, you know. It's about 25 minutes uh, drive from where I grew up. Yeah, the country's Tiny, people are yeah. really get it. It's about 15 miles, yeah. you know, from where I grew up. So when, when Gaza 2008, I was back in Israel, but, you know, the other Gaza wars that we had is... My parents were on rocket attack every night almost, and, and obviously everything was going on. So, uh, But my dad grew up in Ashkelon, was two miles away from Gaza. And he remember, you know, back in 1970, they, they used to go there all the time with his dad and, and eat hummus with, with the Palestinians then, back then. And then things just went south, and, and, you know, now we don't have, you know, any relationship, which is, you know, sucks to, to both parties. Um, 
Do you do your military service, or how, how, does, how does it work? I did, uh, yeah, I did three years of service. Uh, I did basic training. Actually, my base was right by, by the house, right by Gaza, uh, for about a month and a half. Uh, and then I was fortunate enough to, to get special benefit of, from the Army to, to be able to go to practice in game. On game days, you just come for a few hours. On practice days, you can go to practice, but you got to come back every day. So The first few year and a half was kind of tough. Uh, you had to go there every day and be there for six, eight, six to eight hours and you know do the stuff that you need to do and then go to practice. But then after that, things got got better for me. There was like, Someone told me there was like, legislation named after you. <laughs> that was like the, the Omri Caspi law. Was it something about voting from out of the country? What, what was the what was the issue? Well, we can't vote really when you're in the U.S. It's it's hard. You got to have the embassy, and now they're going to try to they they try to vote the legislation. Vote. So this was like the Omri Caspi yeah. law. Did it pass? Uh, uh, I don't. I haven't really followed up. It's a good I mean, this question. might be your second greatest accomplishment <laughs> as an Israeli is that there's like a law named after you. Um, military service compulsory in Israel, compulsory in South Korea. Should it be compulsory? Is it a good idea to have compulsory military service? Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's we have, we, in Israel. It's such a small country, and, and you don't have enough people usually. So, in order to protect the borders and everything else, you you must do that. But I feel like I, I gained so much of it. You know, now it's mandatory in Israel for men and women. Men have to serve three years, and women have to have serve two. Uh, but you you learn so much. You, it's the first time you really leave the house, and and you suddenly wake up in the middle of the night with this group of people you never met in your life and, and you're going through different things and drills and running and running through the mud and, and shooting and diving in the water and whatnot and, and you just get a different perspective of life you know and, and at the same time this is just the way reality is I remember when I was 21 I came back after my rookie year I had friends that just been in war and I sit with them and they tell me a story about how you know the friends next to them you know got shot in the leg and the other guy just died and you know and, and you put things in perspective in, in, in a, a very big way after military service some Israelis go to India and they go to Goa right. and I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with this whole concept they just want to leave and and, and and they really check out yeah they check out from the world for six to eight months at least it's become essentially a ritual for certain kinds of Israelis yeah yeah there's there's Two different paths you can go. There's, you know, some go to Goa in India, uh, some go to South America, but they just want to check out. They, they, they. Sometimes, you know, most of these kids are seeing their lives right in front of them. Are, are, you know, their best friends just died, or, and and, you know, it's such a you know sad situation to be in, you know. But uh, they just want to check out and 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 want to get some free time. I mean, it seems like the country as a whole has almost accepted that there's going to be this sabbatical after service, that yeah. if you go and just drop off this earth and ingest whatever it is you want to ingest and go, uh, go right ahead and do it. Yeah. It's, um, yep. and, Which is pretty amazing. you got to remember that the, the military service, 18 or 21, and then they work for six to eight months just to get enough money to, to do that trip because at the end of the day, they just go and travel. And then they come back at 23, 24, and they're really – and then they, they start saving money to go to college. So they start college at 25, 26, and they finish college at 28, 29. And they still, there's really successful young entrepreneurs and people that develop apps and whatnot. It's just, to me, it's really amazing how things really, you know, with all the money that going in, in, in Israel, going to military. But I heard 50% of, of Israeli budget goes to the military service uh, and to the military. Uh, so everything else, you have 
less than one percent going to to you know not academies but like the theater and stuff like that so but there's still you know people are, are doing so much which is amazing it's really quality people um you gonna go back there after retirement it's a good question you know it's me and my wife debated it the other day and our is family she Israeli? she's Israeli she was born here in, a, in in LA actually so she's she's American but she she grew up all her life in Israel basically from the age of three um, it's a good question because I love the U.S. It, lives are comfortable and, and people give you your space to, to do whatever you want to do. And I feel like there's so many different oppor- opportunities to do business and stuff like that and, and stuff that I'm interested in. Yeah, what are you going to do after? Have you thought about that? Well, see, I mean... Uh, is it healthy to think about that or, yeah, or is yeah, it a diversion must. from basketball? You must. I think you must. I think I think you must. I think... I think in order to, to have a successful life after basketball, you must think at a very young age uh, of, of what you want to do and how you want to invest your money and create cash flow and, 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 and buy you know, you know, assets other than liabilities and buy stuff that, that can generate your future uh, in, in a good future in your life. Uh, you're not, would, you, would you be one of these guys who hangs around the league at all? Like would you ever want to be a general manager? I don't know. It's a good question. I always felt like I, I, I know the game, you know, Sometimes, like, we have this debate that, you know, the best players know the game the best and, and game, recognize game. And I not necessarily always agree with that because, you know, there's so many, obviously, not basketball players that became great GMs and also just mediocre basketball players that became great coaches, etc. And not necessarily the best basketball player would be the best guy that understand how to build a team and how to evaluate talent, etc. So... Yeah, I would actually argue that there's a good case. I mean, look, LeBron... Is a savant, is, right? Like that's that's ridiculous. But you know, I look at like a guy who can get the most out of the lease. Like I mean, take a guy like Garrett Temple, who okay. you play with, right? Like, yeah, like I think that guy knows the game ridiculously well. Is he one of the fifty best players in the game? Yeah. Of course not. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and you know, it's like in baseball, it's always like the backup catcher who becomes the good manager. Like it's it's often the guys who are, frankly, because they spend a lot of time on the bench, like next to the coach and watching the game. Yeah, and and. And I feel like I know the game, and I know a lot of things to do around it, and I understand the business of basketball. But I don't really, you know, I'm more at the point that I want to create uh, life for me and my family to create cash flow, to create money that when I finish and I say that's the day I want to retire, I can live life without nobody knocking on my door and, you know, and, and putting pressure on me, or I got to go to uh, work. I got to work at some place and people, you know, might fire me or not. I'm really comfortable and do whatever I want to do and then make a decision on that. Well, Henry Cassidy, good luck with that. (laughs) Thank you.